Eat local and be coastal at the Boatyard Restaurant, located at 1515 Southeast 17th Street Causeway in Fort Lauderdale. Here, you'll feel part of the yachting tradition of South Florida as you experience the Boatyard's hooked-table, seafood-eccentric menu with fresh catches listed by name of the fisherman who caught them. The Boatyard's open kitchen is also known for premium grilled cuts of meat and a menu that's sourced from local ingredients. Sit inside in modern nautical-themed rooms or dockside and watch the boats cruise by as you enjoy lunch, dinner, and Sunday brunch. Monday through Friday, the locals know that the Boatyard's happy hour is the best place to gather for bar bites and handcrafted cocktails at great prices. And don't miss out on Ladies' Night every Thursday. Call ahead to book your reservation today at 954-525-7400. Everybody, this is Captain Jeff, and welcome to the Real Guy Podcast. Um, Got a special guest in the studio tonight, um, Nyla Pipes from the One Florida Foundation. Nyla, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be on the show. Thanks. Um, I think this is going to be a cool um, episode just because... One of the things that I'm constantly um, bring up um, in most of the uh, episodes is that I always wanted somebody that was a real conservationist. That's a great word. I love <laughs> conservation. <laughs> well, I remember what, what was it? What did I? What did I? When I first talked to you on the phone, what did I say? Environmentalist. You did. You it, called me an environmentalist, and I had to get into the whole thing about the difference between environmentalists and conservationists. And that's. And then from that point on, um, I felt like I had a connection with you. Why don't you tell the audience what you told me about the difference between sure. the two? Sure. So, conservationists really look at the world as a whole and how we fit in the food chain. You know, so we recognize that we eat, that we create waste, that we have a, an impact on the planet. And a lot of the environmentalists really, in a lot of ways, are looking at the world more as if it were in a terrarium. There's a lot of belief that we don't belong in certain areas and that we should um, preserve and protect to the point where human beings, you know, aren't really a part of things. And I think it's really key that we acknowledge that because what happens, in my humble opinion, Mm -hmm. uh, is we, as environmentalists, if we're looking at the world as this place that we kind of view from afar as opposed to being involved in, I think that we lose track of our footprint really easily. And it's really easy to blame everything on every everything that happens on everyone else around us and forget to look in the mirror and recognize that we have an impact. Yeah. When you when you first explained it to me, um, kind of threw me off for a second. And then after you said it, I was like, oh, OK, I know exactly what she means. And um, how did um, how did you start your foundation and, and why? Sure. So in 2013, the Lake Okeechobee discharges um, down the St. Lucie River are really what spurred me to get involved in this conversation in the state of Florida. I'd spend a lot of time in Florida. I had moved to Florida in 2010, but I had been traveling here, um, you know, since I was a kid. My step-grandfather moved to Florida in 1974, and I'm absolutely in love with this state. I mean, every single inch of it, you know, from the more mountainous region, and I know that's a silly term to use, but the (laughs) hill, the hill region up there in the panhandle, um, all the way down to Florida Bay and the Florida Keys, you know, and, and so to move to Florida was a big deal for me. Um, I felt like I got it early in my life and I was really excited to be here. 
And then once I got here, I realized how much our resources were taxed in this state. And when the Indian River Lagoon and St. Lucie River turned blue-green with that blue-green algae cyanobacteria, mm-hmm. I had to do something. And so I started speaking up. And the more I started speaking up, the more people asked us, myself and a few other people that had joined in the cause, um, to really become something real. And so we formed One Florida Foundation in 2014 and hit the ground running. Mm-hmm. Um, we are not necessarily... Uh, the people who are going to tell you what you want to hear, but we work really hard to back everything we have to say up with facts and science. Okay, so when you so you started the foundation and um, it wasn't really planned, huh? It wasn't no, like you went to school and decided I want to you know save the world one day. And I'm then... an accidental advocate. <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, I actually have a media degree. I worked in Spokane, Washington, for just shy of a decade in radio and television, um, but I was raised in the Pacific Northwest you know, generationally, and that part of the world, you're really taught to speak up and to be involved and um, to do your part politically, to mm-hmm. to be involved in the decisions that are made uh, in your day-to-day life, you know? So I spoke at my first public meeting when I was 12, um, so this just came naturally. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess we just start speaking at 12. <laughs> yeah, they were, they were going to uh, fire, in my mind, my favorite teacher. I'm sure it was a budget cut situation, but yeah, I spoke spoke before the school board at 12 years very cool Mm -hmm. very cool and um so you've really kind of dug into the um the main issue that 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 we had here recently with the sewage spills you've i mean i read a lot of the stuff that you were doing online and and i mean you've spent some serious time and energy and you actually know something that's one of the problems i've i've had with this whole um, sewage spill issue here in Fort Lauderdale is guys like me, we don't know um, the basic fundamentals of what's happening, what's happening, who is supposed to make sure that, that it doesn't not supposed, happen, not supposed to happen. <laughs> right. Like, like we're not even sure who, you know, whose responsibility is it in the town of Fort Lauderdale to make sure that the sewage spills don't keep happening or we're supposed to s- s- not start happening or whatever. Like we're not even like sure. And then when okay. you, when you do try to find out it's hard, you get a lot of smoke and mirrors. Well, whose responsibility is water quality, right? Let's so that's, that's sort of a starting question and you have layers of, um, agencies and, and you know, you've got your local governments and then you've got your County government you know, so you've got your city, your county, and then from there, you've got state government and then federal government. And that's across the board in all these issues, right? right? And so, like in your case, city of Fort Lauderdale, absolutely, the state's going to say it's all, you know, yeah, they have a problem. They need to fix it. Well, the city is going to, you know, and I'm just being hypothetical a little bit here, sure, but... Sure mark my words, this will happen. The city is going to go back and say, but wait a minute, it's such a big problem and we don't have the money, right? And so they're going to look to the state and they're going to apply for grants and they're going to try really hard to um, leverage whatever money they do have set aside at the at the city level and the, you know possibly the county level too because you know, you've got Broward County. So they'll work together to figure out how to piece together the funding to fix the problems you're facing. And 
that gets into the bureaucracy of this all. And, you know, there are a million different ways. I mean, a million's an exaggeration, obviously. But there are a lot of different ways that they um, can piece together funding for you. Um, you know, and, and it just depends on what you've got going on as far as, you know, I mean, even the city's credit rating comes into play, you know, and it's my understanding that the city of Fort Lauderdale has a pretty good credit rating, which means they can borrow money right. and they can borrow money to fix this problem more immediately than if they didn't have a good credit rating. So it's a lot like trying to figure out in your household budget how you're going to cover everything. You have to look at all these different budgets from the city to the county to the state, and mm -hmm. you have to figure out how to piece it together. Well, one of the things that I learned, um, you know, from going to the city meetings just recently, um, I've tried to attend, I don't know, most, the majority of them. And I think I've been able to get to maybe a half a dozen. And one of the things that um, totally floored me, and the mayor and the city manager were very upfront about it. And I, I was, like, was not expecting it. But they basically said that um, the city over the years has collected the money. Yep. And... They basically take took that money and used it on other things. Yeah, it's it's referred to as deferred maintenance. And right. what what they did is they collected the money, um, and they they looked at it as a return on investment. And so you know, much like in your own household, I'm I'm sure sometimes you rob Peter to pay ball, pay Paul a bit, right? <laughs> Try not to, but yeah, it right. Happens. Everybody tries not to, right? Um, it seems that over the years, the city has not worked too hard to try not to. Right. You know, they've just said, oh, well, we've got all that money sitting there and we need to balance our budget. So let's take that. Um, now, mil millions. I mean, it's it's a 250 mil yeah. is what they told us at the um, at the meeting that they decided not to spend on the problem that they knew that we had. <laughs> right. So when so. <clears throat> all right. So let me. You know, Can I just. Add one more thing to that. Of course. So you also get involved in politics. And you talk, you talk about um, infrastructure. Right. It's really, I would say sewage infrastructure is one of the hardest places for any political leader, elected official, to work to spend the money. Because people are unaware of their waste, right? And right. so it's much more politically attractive to put in a new park or even improve the roads because, you know, people drive on the roads if they're full of potholes. They're aware that there's a problem. Right. But with wastewater, it's out of sight, out of mind. We flush and it goes away. Right. We don't really have a problem, right? Right, 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 right. <laughs> so that's one of the challenge, challenges you're up against is, you know, a lot of these people are working and, and at all levels of government, they're working to stay in office, you know? So... <clears throat> this is obviously, um, from the way you're talking, is not um, unique. This seems like this happens normally with a lot of cities and counties throughout the state. The American Society of Civil Engineers does an infrastructure report um, every couple of years. And 2017, I believe, 2016, 2017 was their latest one. And they said that the city, or I'm sorry, the state of Florida is $18.4 billion behind in our sewage infrastructure. So in Fort Lauderdale, you've got very obvious sewage leak problems, right? Um, for, for a number of reasons, you know, not the least of which being that uh, over 40% of your pipes are over 50 years old, right. sitting in, you know, high water table conditions, 
um, you know, salt environment, lots of corrosion, you know, you've got cast iron that rusts, you've got uh, a lot of our cities in the state of Florida have um, Orangeburg pipe, which is basically like a tar paper. Mm -hmm. You can imagine how that does when we sit here at sea level. Um, so there's, there's a lot wrong with our, our sewers throughout the state. But then you add to it, and, and a lot of people like to try to make this an either-or conversation, and it's not. It's both. Mm -hmm. You add to it the septic tank issues. Right. So septic systems do not function well in most places in Florida simply because we do not have the amount of soil underneath the bottom of a drain field that you need prior to reaching your groundwater. And a lot of people say, oh, well, but they wouldn't have permitted them if they didn't work. What people need to understand is Department of Health permitted them, and they function just fine as far as uh, removing bacteria. They were never designed, not at all, to remove nutrients like nitrogen and phosphorus that feed algal blooms. Okay. So it's a twofold problem. You've got, you know, I, I don't remember the exact number, but we're talking millions of septic tanks in the state of Florida. Mm -hmm. And then you've got failing sewers in a lot of places too. So in one community like Fort Lauderdale, the problem absolutely is sewer related. Right. You do still have some septic tanks in Broward County. You do still have that problem as well, but it's obviously not the emergency that the sewer is, you know, as evidenced by right, right. before Christmas. As hundreds of millions of gallons are just pumped into the intercoastal. Right. All right. So from, from from a real guy perspective, from a fisherman like myself, okay, um, we obviously know that we have um, declining fish populations, wild, declining wildlife populations, and the rate of speed in the last five years has been dramatically faster than any other time that I could ever um, remember or even hear people talk about, for crying out loud. Mm -hmm. So on any given day, we'll be fishing, and... We'll take the FWC, for instance. The guy in the FWC boat comes up to us, and he'll check our safety gear. He'll check the registration. Maybe he'll check for fish. Right. You know, any type of you know, fish regulations or restrictions and that type, or that type of thing. But as he's checking the fishermen, he may be sitting in plastic, a diesel spill, the sewage in this case. Mm-hmm. Are there any agencies that a guy like myself could buddy up to, to communicate with, to get them not to worry about the safety gear and some of the other stuff that they check you, you know, I've got checked one time over <laughs> 80 times in one year on so, registration and safety gear. So, so my friends at FWC are going to be thrilled when I say, wait a minute, we still want to worry about safety gear. Um, <laughs> but, it, you know, it's but I do see what you're saying. One of my best fishing yep. buddies is FWC. Yeah. And you know, I mean, we, I mean, you got to hear the conversations that we have on the boat and he got in to the FWC with the right mindset that he wanted to be there to help the environment. So, but you he's, know, not, he's the minority. You're, you're, looking for, you're looking for that intersection between like water quality, for example, and what does FWC do? What's their role in that, right? FWC or anybody in the government. Who sure. is our friend? So that's an interesting question. First of all, I, I work really hard not to set this up as a friend or foe situation because 
to make progress, you do have to build relationships with the people who can actually help you. And it's a slow going machine because you're talking about the bureaucratic process and you're talking about politics and you're talking about um, people who are, uh, their hands are tied because the law says I can only work in this channel right here. I can't step into this one over here, even if I want to. Right. Okay. So like FWC, it's fish and wildlife, right? That's their main purpose. Um, I know a lot of people right now are really frustrated with FWC because of the spraying that is occurring throughout, um, you know, the greater Everglades particularly, but all of our lakes and water bodies. Um, I see that as also an area we have to be careful of the middle ground because we do have invasive species that just absolutely, and and I'm talking aquatic plant vegetation, um, that absolutely do not have a great option for removal. So hydrilla, for example, all of Lake O is not going to be harvested mechanically. It's just not even feasible because the amount of gas you spend with a mechanical harvester to get out into some of those regions, you know, of the lake that need it, it it just, by the time you get out there, by the time you spend all that gasoline, by the time you make one or two trips back and forth, you've removed, you know, some, it just becomes cost ineffective. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so a larger body of water like Lake O requires a small amount of spraying. Now, do I think that they're overspraying? Absolutely. Okay. Do I think that, um, we could get out a lot of these areas in the canals and in the smaller lakes with mechanical harvesting? Absolutely. And I do think that with enough public pressure, they are moving that direction. I know, again, that's not the popular answer. I'm just supposed to say spraying is bad. Okay. Spraying is bad, but so is overgrowth of hydrilla that we can never catch up with in an area of the lake that's too hard to reach. And oh, by the way, it's shading out the submerged aquatic vegetation that is really important, that is a, a native species that's supporting your fish, right? Okay. So this conversation is a lot of gray area, and that's what the agencies deal with on a day to day basis. So Water quality-wise, because you asked about water quality, um, because really when you're talking sewage, that's the primary right there is water quality. So DEP is really the agency that you're going to be working with on the state level. All right. So FWC. Who who help, help but also hurt. Well, most, just, just so everybody kind of knows, at least I can't speak for the rest of the state, but in Broward and Dade County, for the most part, the both the commercial fishermen and the recreational fishermen pretty much chalk them up as useless. Mm, strong fact, words. Useless. Okay. Fact of the matter. In these two counties. Now, I've been to Crystal River and some other places where they actually have a decent relationship with the FWC officers. Sure. The fishermen, the guides, the people that are on the water every single day. That does not happen here in... Um, in Broward and Dade County. I mean, myself, for instance, have been stopped by the FWC hundreds, literally hundreds of times. Hmm. Most of the time, they never even check for a fish. It's always about safety and that type of thing. Um, It's hard for us to swallow that they call them the FWC for wildlife. Right. You know, um, but if you look on their, on their, on their, on their boat or on their truck, 
It says law enforcement. Mm-hmm. I think they should just take off the FWC and just leave law enforcement. And sure. if that was the case, it'd be very easy for somebody like myself or anybody else that's out in a boat or a sportsman to just be like, okay, that's law enforcement. But because it says Florida Wildlife, you assume that those guys are... Yeah, they're, they're conservationists, they're, right? They're the Florida they're Wildlife there, Conservation they're, Committee. They're there for the people that care about right. the environment. Right. I don't see that. Is it, what is this last C? FWC. Coalition? Uh, I should know this stuff. Florida Wildlife and Conservation. Commission. They're a commission. That's what they are. Well, yeah. <laughs> when, you're, when you're allowed to just say, okay, you're the, you're the commissioner of FWC, then it's a commission, right? There you go. Because that's what they did. You know the kid down the street that I grew up with? Um, Steve Hudson is now the commissioner of the FWC. Really? Yeah. Well, see, then you have an in. You can just, you can just make sure that you are uh, having lots of conversations and you can express your concerns and your frustrations. And see, that's, I think, one of the biggest things that I want people to know is that you have to continually show up. You can't just go to a meeting a few times. You can't just do a protest or two. Right. You have to continually push because this stuff takes time. And if a you're not if a you're not in it pushing, you know, I love social media as much as the next girl, but posting on Facebook doesn't really get you much. It's showing up to the FWC meetings, right? right, right so right. so I'm going to ask you a point of question. Good. Have you attended the statewide meetings? No. Okay. We're going to make sure that we fix that. The next time that we have an FWC meeting, uh, I'll make sure that you've got that schedule and you know so we can show up and speak at that podium because, believe it or not, continually seeing people show up makes a difference in building those relationships and in helping to move the needle the direction you want it to go. Okay. So to move the conversation forward, the DEP is yes. the actual agency that if you see a, a crazy amount of plastic, maybe a diesel spill, the sewage spill. Yeah, diesel. Uh, yep. Mm-hmm. That type of um, that type of pollution or whatever. The DEP should be the guy that you would call up and say yeah, hey and they have, this is what um, we see i don't have it in front of me but you can google it um they have a reporting hotline so you can you know report uh things that you see that are a violation you know um i know dep is going to be taking a much bigger role in talking about our sewage issues throughout the state of florida um, especially if the bill that is working its way through the florida house and senate right now um, kind of known as Debbie Mayfield's bill, that uh, Senate Bill 712, that, that water bill that is happening this year. If that makes its way all the way through and is signed into law, um, one of the provisions within that bill is to move the oversight from, you know, for septic tanks, for instance, um, from Department of Health over to DEP, where it really needs to be if we're going to get after the nitrogen and the phosphorus problem. Um, there are other provisions in that bill that will be helpful. Um, one of them is we have this, they call it a, uh, dig once provision. And the whole idea is, Hey, if you're going to dig it up to fix it, then fix it right the first time. Right. So that applies here in Fort Lauderdale with the work you guys have ahead of you in the very near, I hope they're digging right now, future, uh, (laughs) to correct your sewage problems, because this is an opportunity to, not just fix a pipe, 
But if the entire trunk line is gone, fix the whole trunk line. Uh, fix it to the best standards possible. Um, you know, looking at where your water goes once it's, wastewater goes once it's through the pipes, you know, your wastewater treatment plants. In the state of Florida, we really should be using advanced wastewater treatment. We're talking um, tertiary treatment, right? Uh because that's where the nitrogen removal really comes in. Yeah, well, you're starting to get pretty technical. I know I am. I know I am. Using these big vocabulary words <laughs> but, and stuff. But I, but I want you to start <laughs> understanding it. <laughs> all right. All right. So keep, um, okay. Tertiary is, is a third step of treatment in your sewage treatment plant. Okay. And that third step is really, really important because most of our sewage treatment plants throughout the state of Florida only have two steps. And the second step does not remove much nitrogen. And these algal blooms that we're seeing, brown tides in the Indian River Lagoon, uh, the blue-green algaes, the various forms of, of cyanobacteria that we're seeing throughout the, in, honestly, throughout the state. Um, it's in the St. John's River. It's, it's down here in your canals. It's, mm -hmm. you know, St. Mm -hmm. Lucie, Caloosahatchee, the whole nine yards. Um, even some evidence saying that, you know, what we're doing on shore is helping to feed those red tide blooms, right? So all of these things, it's like a perfect storm where nitrogen and phosphorus are feeding these blooms. So with a secondary treatment system, you're only getting less than 50% removal of nitrogen. Okay. With a tertiary treatment system, that third step, like they've done in the Keys, at Kudjo Key, okay. um, they're getting 98% removal of nitrogen. So... As we move forward and, and improve our infrastructure throughout the state, we really should be pushing for the best systems we can possibly put in. Okay. Which is what this bill is saying with this Dig Ones provision. So the state is beginning to really take this seriously. Um, and I, I think that the DEP is going to be tasked with getting after our sewage pollution in the state of Florida in a way that they have not been in the past. Okay. Um, in your opinion, if you were to rate the DEP's performance in the last 20 years. Oh, that's not fair. It is fair. <laughs> I, have to, I have to look these people in the eye, my friend. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, no, you're right. It's fine. Um, <sighs> yeah, that's the way I feel, You too. know, <laughs> there, there's been a lot of ignoring problems. That's the truth of the matter. And it's not, it's not just DEP. It's not just FWC. It's not just, I mean, it, it really is from the local level all the way up. You know, you can even get into the Everglades restoration conversation and talk about the federal level of things or, or the EPA, right, at the federal level. That's who is in charge, so to speak. That's, that's the federal counterpart to our DEP here in Florida. We have been ignoring a really obvious sewage problem throughout the state of Florida. Now, is that, a, is, is that, and everybody knows that we've been ignoring it and P, and the politicians are admitting that we've been ignoring it. Do you believe that was, ignoring it was strategic? Deferred maintenance, deferred maintenance. You know, if I'm, if I am running for election in six months, okay. the last thing I'm going to come to you and say is, you know, um, each and every one of you 
are going to have to pay more on your taxes because we didn't collect enough money and we took all the money that we had collected and we, we put it into the budget. So we so spent yeah, it, we so spent it on a park instead. So the last thing I'm going to do is admit loudly that I know that there's a problem if it's going to affect my political career. So that's where the strategy actually is. Is there? I mean, there's a lot there. There's a lot there, and you know, I don't, I'm not singling out any one person. Um, I think that there are people in elected, you know, positions that absolutely want to do the right thing and work to do the right thing. Um, I just think that what happens is in order to make any difference, right, as an elected official, you have to stay elected. And so it becomes this game where they, they try really hard to figure it out. But, you know, I think that there are some people who go, well, you know, not my problem. I'm out. I'm out. I'm done. I've just, I have just retired, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, well, also, that, that, that's gotta be the case, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I wish I had something nicer to say, but I, I do believe that there's been too much ignoring of the problem and I think a lot of it comes down to the politics of it but you are seeing some sort of um, momentum say going the other way where these agencies like what I'll, I'll tell you something that I thought was something I'm an eternal optimist are you I am believe it or not because I'm kind of like an eternal pessimist that's all right we're a good balance then well like I look at it like this and I'll get a lot more broad than the actual agencies or whatever we'll just go with total um, political philosophy and parties. All right. I'm 52 years old. I've watched Democrats, Republicans, supposedly independents. I've all sorts of people, governors, mayors, commissioners, presidents. Two sides to the same coin. Yeah, and and <laughs> I've been I've been hearing about environmental stuff. I've been hearing about saving the ocean. I've been he my whole life. Mm-hmm. And the rate of speed of destruction in the last few years is so crazy fast compared to previous years. Oh, absolutely. And I have absolutely no confidence, zero, in the public sector anyway. This stuff, any of this stuff is ever really going to get taken care of. And I know, I know that you have to fight for what is right. You have to fight to get something, anything good in life you have to fight for. Sure. You got to show up. You got to speak at those meetings. You got to go to the FWC meeting with me. Well, how the hell does it keep getting worse every single year when there's good people like you and your foundation, when there's all this government, DEP, FWC, EPA, the, the friggin' figure it's my own podcast. I would turn <laughs> off my own phone. But you, you know what I mean? And, and, and you watch it and you listen and you hope. God, you hope, right? Everybody has, there's so much hope. And I think that's what really, you know, drives any type of energy going forward is the hope. And I still have hope left, so, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty pessimistic. I, I'm an eternal optimist, but I manage expectations. And I will say that one of the things I think um, there's too much of is looking for a spotlight and taking credit. You have to look at this as a paradigm shift. It's taken me personally seven years of talking about sewage issues to see us get to this spot where we've got a bill, I believe, that's got a lot of good provisions in it. I've watched some really 
bad bills come and go in, mm-hmm. in the Florida um, legislature. Um, I've seen some bills be put in place that really didn't do anything, but they seemed like they did. Um, but I will say that people are much more aware just on the, on the street, you know, just general Floridians. They're much more aware of our sewage problems than they were seven years ago. And so I think you have to look for that paradigm shift as opposed to like a a volcano going off that says, hey, we did it, you know, or or fireworks, so to speak. Um, You know, (laughs) to to use a term that a man that I founded my organization with that is now deceased used to say, you know, changing the face of how we handle wastewater, it's not sexy. Definitely not sexy. No, but it's really important. And, and so I look at these small paradigm shifts that we're seeing, and collectively I know that a difference is being made. And I think that some of what you're seeing as far as more destruction is really magnified in the state of Florida because you have over 1,000 people a day moving here. Yeah. Well, overdevelopment makes it apparent, you know, mm-hmm. where – and it makes it, it, make, it makes it feel more helpless. Yeah. You know, because – like, like one of the things that I look at, right, and and I've really been looking at it hard the last few weeks, is um, literally blocks from where the major sewage spewed into the friggin' canals here, mm-hmm. blocks away. There's these huge um, construction companies doing big things. Yes. And you look over there and you watch those construction companies, and I'm not going to get into the argument whether it's good or bad that they are not but i will tell you this you look over at those construction companies and you see 120 guys working at one time you see state-of-the-art equipment being used just so dense that you've never seen it like that before and then you look two blocks over and you look at the guys that are fixing the pipes yeah they don't look the same development has always been big business in florida you know, from the very beginning of this state, as far as, you know, ditching and draining and creating more places for more people. Um, it's a big part of our economy, you know, and if you haven't read Grenwald's The Swamp, you really should, because while it's, you know, not absolutely perfect, it's a pretty stinking good history. Right. Um, you know, you've got Flagler. Flagler came in, you know, Broward. I mean, I'm sitting here in Broward County. I might as well mention him. You know, the whole goal was to tame the swamp and make this place productive, right? Right. Arguably, we have made it overly productive, right? Um, which is, hits at the core of why I do this. Because I moved here. I don't plan on going back. But if I'm going to take up space in this adopted home, Um, it's my job. It's my job to be politically active. It's my job to show up. It's my job to advocate for a better way. And I do hope that of the thousand people a day moving here, there are more people that have that mindset. I hope so too. I don't think so, but I hope so. Ah, come on now. You're taking away my eternal optimism again. (laughs) I mean, mean, this neighborhood is a good example. Okay. These little plots of land here are about, I don't know, 50, 60 feet wide. The, big, the biggest ones are 200 feet deep. Mm-hmm. The person that moves here takes a small lot like that, 
and puts maximum amount of square footage that they can get under air conditioning. Right. No but green moved, space. Right. But they moved to Florida for what? <laughs> to be warm. Right. And to be in the sun <laughs> and to go fishing and to go surfing and paddleboarding, kayaking uh. and all that. They don't move here with the mindset that it's going to take to see the change that we need. Mm. That is not happening. That I would is love, heavy. Come on now. But it's not happening. It is heavy, <laughs> but it's not happening. Like one of the, I mean, there was two sides. When we did the protest um, a couple of weeks ago, there was two sides to the coin. One side made me feel like King Kong. Like, man, it's nice to see these people come together. It's nice to see that the common goal, um, you know, is here. And that it's a, a community of people that, you know, actually care. And for the type of demonstration that we did, I thought the numbers were great. The people were great. But it was still small in the, in the realm of things. And we had the newspaper write about it. Talk mm -hmm. about it for yep. 10 days before the event. We were on every single news station. I, I saw your o press. You were doing a good job. Right? We got all the word out. And th the number of boats that showed up, it was impressive, and it looked impressive. And the number of people that showed up was somewhat impressive for this type of event. But you would have thought that the people that lived downtown would have showed up by the thousands, not by the hundreds, by the thousands. Mm. And that's not the case. So my answer to that is, don't let that discourage you, and I'll tell you why. Okay. You really can make a difference as a small organization, a small loosely organized group of people, a small coalition of people, even just as your own person. If you show up continually and you build those, those uh, relationships and you don't stop, you know, right. if you are that person who is at every, you know, county commission or, or city commission meeting. meeting, pretty soon you're on a first name basis with the mayor. Pretty soon, and I'm just using the mayor as an example, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty soon the mayor's calling you. Pretty soon the mayor's calling you and talking about the money they're trying to go get from the state in Tallahassee this upcoming session. Believe it or not, that's how change is happening. Okay. So don't let the fact that um, Susie Q Homemaker or, um, you know, Sally Soccer Mom isn't showing up to your protest, don't let that discourage you from continuing to, A, hold the protest because there is power in protest. You know, um, you and I talked about this a little bit before the show. You protest to bring political attention to a problem to show that people are upset, to show those policymakers, your elected officials, that the people that elected them have a voice and they're going to use it. Mm -hmm. You know, then you do the work. And that's the part I'm talking to you about. That's the showing up to the meetings. That's the writing the emails. That's the writing the op-eds. Advocacy is not, <laughs> again, sexy. Right. It's a whole lot of hard work. Right. And that is the part I think that a lot of people either miss or they get discouraged and they stop or 
I mean, to be honest, people are just kind of intrinsically lazy and a lot of people don't want to do the hard work. Right. But if you get a handful of people who are willing to do even part of that work, you know, say you've got one guy, he'll never go to a meeting, but he'll send email every time you ask. Right. Right. That guy is gold. Right. He's well, my dad would say, you know, that's that guy is part of your file cabinet. He's very good at this file and that's what you can take advantage of with that person and and, yep. and because of that he would be gold. All right, so one of the people that I met in the last few weeks um has been hot on the topic here in the city for like four years. Mm-hmm. And um when when he first got involved, some sort of crisis happened. I forget the whole story, but it's not quite as nasty as the one we just had. But something happened that rallied um, about 40 people together to start really getting onto the city about um, what they were going to do about fixing the infrastructure. Mm-hmm. This was four years ago. Started with 40 people. He told me over 400 meetings later. That he's the only one out of the original 40 people that are still standing there. I hope he's in your file cabinet. He's in my file cabinet, and I had lunch with him the other day because the only other times that I ever was able to speak with him, when there's a whole bunch of people around, I never got to really know the guy. But I listened to what he said, and I was like, wow. I was like, you know, that's different than... Because, you know, most of the people you meet, they show up with big hearts. Yep. And it's great. You know, they have the big hearts. But this dude showed up with the big heart, but he also had four years of kicking and fighting and scratching, trying to keep the topic on the table. And I learned more, you know, with with him only because, you know, he had something to educate me about. Sure. And one of the things that I know for a fact, especially with my um, occupation, is like, between now and the end of May, I'm going to bang out about 120 fishing trips. So for me to attend five of the maybe 50 meetings that they're going to have in the next six months right. would be a major feat for me. Right. As much as I care, as much as I would like to do about the situation, and even though I understand it better than most because of being on the water all the time you know you mm-hmm. see things differently well, you still have to uh you know pay your bills and keep the lights on yeah and if you live here in fort lauderdale it's a lot yeah so write the emails yeah right carve, e- carve out that you know and and I'm, I'm not gonna be hard on you but maybe a little no be, you I know mean, take take that time that you usually would spend on a show on netflix and write out that op-ed yeah you yeah. know Build build relationships with your, your local media so that you have somebody you call that can always get your op-ed ran. Right. You know? Well, one of the things that I watched the, the local media, at least with this issue, is they actually, as they were covering it, uh, you know, they realized that it wasn't just, you know, a, a, it wasn't just a you know car accident, you know, that had some drama for 24 hours. I think as they learned how the story actually went, they actually realized that, hey, there's a whole big problem here, and yeah. it's going to require quite a few yeah. um, media pieces, right? Yeah, but I, but you know, I'm a firm believer that um, the traditional media distributions are totally dead. Um, I wouldn't say totally, especially in the state of Florida, and I'll tell you why. All right, I, I, you look you're at right. demographic. Totally, you look at demographics. Um, 
But that's why you need to, you know, branch out. I mean, your podcast obviously is going to be a great tool you can utilize and have been utilizing, right? Yeah. Um, within the podcasting world, I don't know if you've got buddies who also have a podcast. Perhaps no, you can, you know, guest with each other. Yeah, no, we have a whole network of podcasters, and I think the um, the the podcasting that this form of media is really really valuable to people that need it because there's people that actually you know are looking for not just a a a 30 second blurb on the news that's going to you know give them some sort of shock factor they want answers and this is one form of media where people can actually get real answers um because you and i have been able to sit down with them for 43 minutes so far fantastic it's phenomenal considering where the hell else could you ever do that right you know, so that's where the the power of podcasting. And the other thing, too, is, um, all right, like the traditional forms of media. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of distrust right now. There's a lot of distrust. A lot of it's fake. The way the, the way the, um, they're forced to, doesn't matter how important the content is. They're only going to get 45 seconds, maximum two minutes on anything. Whether it's 100 million gallons of sewage being spilled in the canal or a plane crash or whatever it may be. So 45 seconds, two minutes. That's what on, you get. On that topic, it's really interesting because, um, you know, where I'm located up there along the St. Lucie River, you can't talk about water quality without also talking about quantity. And then, of course, you get into the Lake Okeechobee releases and then you get into Everglades restoration because it's all linked together. Right. And... That is known as alphabet soup, right? I can talk to you about SERP and the EAA reservoir and all of this. And it's so many acronyms. By the time, speaking about the media, um, Lake Okeechobee Watershed Restoration Project Mm -hmm. is a perfect example. So if I'm going to talk in an interview about the Lake Okeechobee Watershed Restoration Project, I'm probably going to have to say that three times. I've just eaten up 45 of my right. <laughs> seconds. Right, 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 right. <laughs> so I, I get what you're saying. It, it's um, podcasts are much a much more in-depth way of anything getting di- into an issue, any, right? Well, that and, and anything digital, like like you could see at, at the protest where the people came from. When you saw the little old lady there, right? Mm-hmm. You knew damn well she came from Channel 10 News. Right. She watches Channel 10 News. She saw the sign-making thing, and she was like, yeah, those people are right, and she showed up. Yeah. But then we had the 954 um, paddle crew, and I wish you could meet those people. Talk about... Let's make it happen. Talk about people that actually stepped up and are doing things. Those are the ones that are doing the independent water test by themselves now and stuff. Fantastic. But, But they were a group on Facebook which, you know, exactly opposite of yep. Channel 10 News. And, but you could, you could tell the difference. You could tell the, where they came from. You could tell what they knew because of which media that they followed in order to get to that protest. And it was so plain, and, and you could see it so clearly if you knew about, you, you know, I don't think the older people kind of saw what the people that were in the digital media could see. Right. You know, but the people that were in the digital media definitely knew were the people that came from that weren't from digital media. And the quality of people, the amount of people dwarfed traditional media that came from digital. And all the digital media that we got 
um, was almost all distributed organically. So yeah, we got Sun Sentinel, mm-hmm. and we got some of these uh, uh, um, publishers to to write. But how people saw their writing was way better distributed through the digital organic. Well, and I think that you've just hit on it. So if you're going to take this cause, right, or any cause, um, and move it forward, you have to branch out in the way that you reach people. You know, um, I'm a heavy Facebook user. I don't tweet as often as I should. Yeah, I don't tweet. Yeah. Now, Lamont, who does all the productions, he tweets and he does very good. I will tell you that I've been working at tweeting more because I can at Governor DeSantis. I can at South Florida Water Management District or the DEP or FWC or the commissioners I've built relationships with. And so I've been trying to tweet more. Um, I think that that's one of the things is how do you get your message out and how do you continually keep the pressure on? And I think that it is um, beholden to us to look at all of these different media sources and not to give up on traditional media, but utilize the different avenues we've got. So, you know, just to add to your work, now you have to not only go to the meetings, but now you have to tweet. You probably need an Instagram. Um, TikTok? I don't know if you do that yet. <laughs> not doing t- I'm not doing TikToks. We did Snap for a while. The Snaps uh, actually worked for a while. We did, we did some Snaps. I can't even with those filters, I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. I tell you that the, um, it, but, but it, you know, digital media is, gone, is a whirlwind also. I mean, things that YouTube did for you, uh, six or seven years ago, they, it doesn't work that way, you know, today. And it, it's a, it's a whirlwind. There's a whirlwind to it. But the movers and the shakers, the people of the upcoming energy, mm-hmm. I firmly believe is going to be you well, know, that, from the digital side of everything. That brings up an interesting point. So we're, we're sort of talking about media a lot here, but it's really important because we're talking about how you get the message out and how you affect change, right? I think that we have got to look to the next generation. We've got to work at reaching them right now. You know, the kids that are seventh, eighth, ninth, all the way through high school and into, you know, the beginning of college, that really should be a target of any of us who are trying to affect change right now. Because when we go back to how long it takes to make things happen, how long it takes to turn a bad situation around, right? Um, These are the kids that are going to be the young adults that see the change happening. And they're going to have to help carry forward the work we've all started. So in the Pacific Northwest, you know, we talked about the fact that I sort of brought my um, viewpoints along and I spoke at, at that meeting when I was 12. One of the other things that we were always taught is that when you work on something to save the environment, when you are a conservationist, you don't quit. Because since we live in the environment and we're constantly creating more problems in the environment with our human impact, right? Right. We also have to constantly be looking for the ways that we can mitigate the harm we've caused. So... I think a lot of people look at these things and go, well, nothing is happening. And I think that they look at that because they feel like there's an end point. There's a goal. 
there's a, a finish line. There are small goals and finish lines along the way, right. but the work never stops. So to bring it back home to Fort Lauderdale here, yes, you can absolutely replace all your sewer. You can put in a new sewer plant with tertiary treatment, that third stage that removes the nitrogen. Right. But you also need to be aware that a new development's going in. Maybe the capacity is going to start running out again. Uh, you're going to have construction crews that accidentally hit a pipe and there's going to be a sewer leak. Um, you know, these, these problems don't stop. Right. And I think that's part of why I look at this all as a paradigm shift, but also it's part of my eternal optimism because just because the problems don't stop doesn't mean we're not making progress. I think it just sort of feels like we never make progress because the problems don't stop, right? It's like a which came first, chicken or the egg thing? Well, I mean, from my standpoint, you know, it just doesn't look like you make any progress because every year that goes by, there's less fish in the ocean. There's I less know. birds. There's less t everything you can possibly think of. Any type of life, whether it's from vegetation to the friggin' 500-foot whale or whatever the heck, and everything in between, there's just less every year. Well, and more invasives, right? So like one of the big things that we have worked on, um, aside from water quality issues, I always used to kind of joke and say, um, you know, it doesn't do us any good to work on water quantity and quality and getting all the timing right and everything for water deliveries in South Florida if we let it all go to an invasive lionfish right. in the meantime. Right. So there are lots of reasons for what you're talking about. And, you know, some of it is, less fish because the um, adaptation process is happening and other fish are moving in and then you don't see the same kinds of fish or, you know, I, again, we're back to human beings aren't really controlling the world. We're a part of the world. All right. Let me, let me, let me switch it up on you just a little bit because you've looked at, especially the sewer issue for mm -hmm. such a long period of time. If you were willing to bet private sector against the public sector and who would actually win in the race to fix the sewage issues, the infrastructure issues that we have all through the state, would you bet on government or would you bet on the private sector? So I'm a big plan. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm a big fan of PPPs, the private public partnership. Okay. I like them because it's an opportunity to let the private sector solve the problems, but it involves the government working alongside them. And I like them because it means our taxpayer dollars are going to things that matter, but there's an opportunity for failure there as well. So an example I can give um, is dispersed water management, otherwise known as water farming. Okay. These are oftentimes a PPP, uh, private-public partnership. That's all dependent upon the contract with the landowner who has agreed to build a reservoir, basically, to hold the water on their land. So you get good contracts and you get bad contracts. So I guess in short, it all depends. So I think that some... I think some private entities are really doing well 
and they're doing the right things. And I think others, it's all about the money. Um, I have seen people, uh, DEP put out a uh, request for projects um, to help solve our uh, phosphorus problems, right? Okay. And, you know, nutrient problems. Some of the people that came forward with their private entity to solve this problem had some of the hokiest stuff I had seen in a very long time. Um, what do you mean hokey? Hokey like uh, we're going to dust everything with magnesium. Okay. <laughs> That's great. Lake Okeechobee is huge. <laughs> right. Lake in the country. But that being said, there's another company I know of that is doing a really awesome filtration project that is scalable. So it all depends on what you're looking at. Um, I know I'm a gray area woman. I'm sorry. Do, I don't you, have a, do, I don't have a hard and solid yes or, or no on that. <laughs> I look at it like this. I think the private sector is going to be the one that actually get it done. I really do. I think the state and it's going and, in, and, and this is where, where my optimistic view is, okay? I think the state, through people like you and I, and a lot of other people, of course, but um, I think the state's going to lead the world on environmental restoration. And I think we are because the private sector has more at stake here than any other place in the world. So let's get into the economy of the private sector. Because okay. I think that that's going to be the driver there. All right. If we can get people to understand how large our problems are and that they can create jobs and they can make money saving the environment, then we've got a win-win. I think, we're getting, you think we're getting close? I think that there are a lot of opportunities that are really popping up for the private sector. And I think that they're beginning to really pay attention to them, especially as we begin really being real about our problems, you know, not, not pretending they don't exist. Right. There is no such thing as a way. Hmm. So yeah, I think we're getting close. I think we're getting close. And I think that, um, you know, that, that a lot of the same people that people are pointing their fingers at now, big development types that are supposedly the villain. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the kid that you used to fight in high school that you may end up becoming best friends with, you know, in your adult life. Right. <laughs> I think we all have one of those. <laughs> right. And, well, I mean, it's a normal, right. But I think that's, I think that's the way nature works. And the one side of me that can see the optimistic side of me, I, I, I don't see it with the government. I think the government are just a bunch of fools. Well, so much of what we have to do, though, when we're talking about the environment, and this is why... I like the private-public partnerships. Um, whether we like it or not, our governmental agencies, our bureaucracy that we have set up, that's part of what also is supposed to keep us safe, right? I know. Supposed to. I know. Just bear with me a minute. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm here. But it's good that I can't go in my backyard 
and decide that I'm going to start my own water filtration project where I dust everything with God only knows what chemical. Okay. <laughs> right? Because I think I'm going to save the world. So there's, there's a series of checks and balances, you know, with the way that this goes. Private entities have to be permitted. They have to go through processes. And that's for our own protection. Um, that's a hard thing for a lot of people to understand because they don't want to. I have one guy who really, he was convinced that he had a solution. And he has told me about it on social media for, you know, probably all of the last seven years. He finally started applying for, you know, the DEP grants to make this go forward and try to figure out if his solution works or not. Okay. Come to find out, it's a possibility. It could work. It could work. But he couldn't just go start that whole thing in his backyard. So there's a series of checks and balances. And, you know, um, I, want to, I want to encourage private entities to go forward and be creative and do the work they think can be done. But in a private-public partnership, whether it be with the state or the federal government or whatever, um, your local county, you know, there's all levels of that stuff too. Um, in those situations, they also have some support and some financial backing and, and people investing. Right. Right. So I don't know. Um, (laughs) if I had to pick one, I I would say that it's not going to be one or the other. It's going to take both. You think it's going to take, I really think it's going to take both. I know. I should have worn my gray T-shirt like you have on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I mean, but at least at least you have um, something to you know to judge your opinions on. I mean, you put in the work, you put in the time, and you obviously care. And um, I think almost I care everybody, a whole lot. Yeah, and I think a lot of people care a whole lot, but they miss the other parts of it, which makes it almost where. It's not good for much. Having Ooh. the big heart, you yeah. know, I mean, it's a start, but it's really not good for much unless you're willing to, like you said, put in the work. Give up your Netflix show, write the email. Give up your Netflix show. I mean, I, I think about the amount of work that we put in just to the protest, you know, and um, if that didn't happen, like during the holidays, when I'm trying not to work anyway, mm-hmm. I never would have been able to put in that kind of time. Or stay that, you know, focused on it. And I'm starting to understand why there's so many foundations and associations and stuff. Yes. And people are chasing money a lot of the times because it takes so much time, energy, which equals money. So on that note, I'll tell you that that's a lot of why I do what I do. This is not an easy conversation. It takes a lot of time. It can be really depressing at times. It can be very frustrating because... Florida is a huge state, and there are a lot of meetings. A lot of meetings. Um, <laughs> you've been looking at the schedule, haven't you? I'm just like, I, and I can't, and I like, I'm like, just want to make a few right here locally, and yeah. I like, I can't make them. Yeah. Um, I don't get paid. I do this as a volunteer. My entire organization is volunteer based. Um, we're very small, you know, but we have a big voice, and. It's really important to those of us involved to keep it volunteer-based because we believe that strongly. And I, I have to say, I mean, the way I can do it is because, you know, my husband 
makes decent enough to keep our lights on. And I have a hugely supportive extended family. Um, not everybody is that lucky. Not everybody's in the position that I happen to be in at the moment. And when I hear I can't make it because I've got to go to work, I can't make it. I took all my vacation days already. There are people I know that are taking their vacation days so that they can attend FWC meetings, right? Yeah. Um, that for me just reaffirms how important this is that I keep going because I mean, my husband and I've talked about it a lot. I bet. You know, but the difference that we see happening, you know, because I can dedicate the time, um, it's a paradigm shift and, and I, I'm optimistic and I will keep working at it as long as I remain optimistic. All right. Let me, I'm going to, I'm going to throw another couple of things at you. All right. Um, you're familiar with the Coastal Conservation Association? I am. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm familiar with them. And I, for the longest time, had they, do, they do a lot of good work. They do good work. Mm-hmm. But for the longest time, I just didn't want to, let's just say, attach myself to them. Sure. I never gave them any money or anything until this year. Um, one of the reasons that I did start giving them some money this year is because there's a local kid um, that's younger who's a real mover, a real shaker, and he really cares. And um, he is now the president of the Broward County chapter. Okay. Like you said, you build relationships, right? You do, right? yep. Mm-hmm. I believe in him. Sure. I'm not... I'm not... I don't have that same belief in the association. So there are a lot of groups that I... Think that really individuals that are a part of an organization are good, um, but sometimes the larger organization itself is not as strong. Um, there are also local chapters that are better than like the state chapter or the national chapter. So I, I hear what you're saying. Well, like like the biggest issue I have with Coastal Conservation Association is they're a pretty big organization, and they're they 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 can't be nimble. Mm-hmm. Okay, like they're having this. Um, There's value in staying smaller. Well, like for instance, you know, like they they have this uh, oyster reproduction program where they, you can buy like little oyster clusters and then right. go place them around Fort Lauderdale and see where they're going to live, which they're doing. Mm-hmm. Which sounds like it's a pretty good idea, except oysters naturally live here, and I could take you right now and show you where they'll grow and where they won't grow. So I explained this to the guy from Coastal Conservation Association, and he's like, yeah, I know, Jeff. He says, but we got this thing funded like two years ago. Whether it's going to work or not doesn't matter. It's already paid for, and we're already going this direction. Whew. That seems like um, a waste of money, quite frankly. It seems like government <laughs> yeah. is what it seems yeah. like, and it seems like a waste of money. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I look back at, and I'm just, you know, I mean, I could give two shits. I, I'll talk about any of the associations. But Coastal Conservation will tout and brag about how big they are and how much they've done for people like me, the local angler, and how they're protecting our places to fish and all mm-hmm. this stuff. In the meantime, you watch that dwindle. So they're not doing that. What they're very good at is collecting money and doing fundraisers. And then when there now is... Now we're going to get controversial. No, well, Bring it. Let's do it. Right? <laughs> 
I'm just saying they're very good at, at collecting money and doing fundraisers. And now there's a time and there's a there's finally an example where they're going to help me, Captain Jeff, in Broward County with oyster clusters. Are you fucking I'm sorry, I tried so stinking. hard. Stinking. Are you stinking Are you kidding stinking me? Stinking kidding me. <laughs> Are you kidding me? That's what we've come up with? I don't know. <sighs> do you, so, you feel uh, me? No, I do. I do. Um, I actually, when it, you know, early on we, we talked about the fact that I'm going to tell you what you want to hear, whether you like it or not. And sometimes that doesn't always make me friends. Um, yeah. One of the things I started in this whole mess was pointing out that there are very large organizations making a lot of money to pay six-figure salaries. And my question is, why are we having fundraisers? for problems that our taxpayer dollars are already fixing. That's so, a good point. so for example, I am not going to buy us a reservoir in the Everglades. Right. I don't think any of these organizations are going to buy us a reservoir in the Everglades. So if your organization's main goal is to save the Everglades and the saving grace is supposed to be a big reservoir south of the lake, why are you having $1,200 a plate fundraisers? You're starting so, to sound like the real guy. So. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's the way real guys think. Yeah. And so that's, that's why we actually formed our little organization. And it's why we are absolutely volunteer based. Because I don't do much fundraising. And if I do fundraise, I'm going to tell you what I'm fundraising for. I'm going to tell you exactly where the money is going when I put out the flyer so that people get it. We send kids to summer camp with an actual biologist. She teaches them all about Tina Fors and stuff. It's really cool. I fundraise for that. Um, I fundraise to put uh, native vegetation back on some of the spoil islands in the Indian River Lagoon. I fundraise for that. And I tell you where it's going. I show you the receipt. And here it is. And I wrote the check. Done. Uh, I am not fundraising at this point to buy us a reservoir or fix Fort Lauderdale sewers or you know, get the 30 plus thousand people in Martin County off of septic right on the Indian River Lagoon and St. Lucie River. Um, there are things that are, are feasible for organizations to do. And then there are things that you come back to keeping that public pressure on the government to get it done. They have your money. That's what the tax dollars are. They hold your purse strings. Right. So... You know, um, CCA, which is where we started this conversation, my involvement with CCA has been um, the sinking of a boat for uh, Voice Bernadette, a new reef that we have in St. Lucie County. I know that they gave quite a bit of money toward the sinking of that ship. Right. Um, and that's good work. That's good, solid work. Um, there's also a couple of seagrass, you know, uh, projects that CCA has been involved in that I absolutely approve of and think are great work. Maybe they don't hit every ball out of the park. Um, but I do see more from them than I do a lot of other organizations who are all about education. And, you know, I mean, you get to a spot where, I mean, I, I'm about education too, right? Right. But you get to a spot where, hi, we have sewage problems. What's so hard to understand about that? Okay, you're right. educated. <laughs> you right, know? Right, right. Well, <laughs> I'm not going to fundraise to come and talk to you. I mean, you know, know. It, it's a tank of gas. What do I care? Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, like the, the sewage issue, um, like that's something I can get my head around. Mm -hmm. 
You know what I mean? I mean, it's common sense. And and you have options to to move forward here at the local level where they can really make a difference quickly. I I think that well, this is this is doable. Yeah, it's common sense. It's doable. Like yeah, you know, and it's not very debatable. Mm-mm. And it's been paid for. Whether whether they, whether they stole the money or not, it's been paid for. People now, are willing. Now you're going to have to figure out how to replace the stolen money to pay for it. Right. But, but he used the word for stolen first. All right, here's another quick question for you. Deferred, it, deferred maintenance. Here's a good. Here's a quick question for you, since you've been in the game a heck of a longer than me and actually know a lot. Um, have you ever seen somebody in the government officials being held accountable for stealing the dough? Oh, um, so it, it's not specifically related to water, but um, there's actually a big audit that's happening up in uh, Palm, Palm Bay area. Okay. Um, governments do get audited. They do get audited and they do get held accountable. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that that is a reasonable question. And there is a mechanism for holding elected officials accountable what do you think the chances of an elected official being held accountable compared to a private official being held accountable what do you think the odds <laughs> are one being held accountable or not oh you know uh yeah negative <laughs> i did i did to... not wear my hip waders today <laughs> exactly 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 see that's what i mean like how can the fwc officer be sitting in the diesel spill Checking my safety equipment. Did you ask him that when this happened? Apparently, this was a real thing. <laughs> if I told you the different story, we could do a, we could do another whole hour just on dumb stories with people with different badges and guns that they've done out there. But the FWC is pretty consistent. Okay, um, the most recent, most ridiculous mm-hmm. was an FWC officer got on my boat, looked in my bait well, and asked me. If mutton snapper were really good for you for bait, and I looked in the well and I let him look again, and then I picked a, a mullet out of the well for him to look at again. Like, you, do you know you just made a mistake here, oh. and you're going to figure out that you made the mistake and make a joke or something? I like gave him all the avenues to get yeah. out of the situation, <laughs> and then he wanted to measure my mullet oh. because there was a because of the. Right. Restriction on you have to have an 18 inch mutton snapper. So each one of my mullet needed to be 18 inches. <laughs> yeah. And it, and I had to tell him that those were mullet and weren't mutton snappers. And then he was a little bit apologetic and kind of laughed about it, which I thought was a, a relief. And was he new? I mean, maybe, he, maybe he, he was one of those transplants. You know? He obviously wasn't old and he didn't have a whole <laughs> bunch of experience. But I'm just saying that does not happen. That would yeah. never ever happen anywhere in the private sector on any, I don't, well on, i mean it might like they, they, I, make I, an example i'm just saying it like, doesn't happen <laughs> well maybe maybe you know somebody that screws up at work and then gets fired right i mean <laughs> either screw up at work and get fired or you don't have enough marbles to get the job in the first place oh there's a lot to be said there right mm-hmm. but that's really private sector works this dude was Florida wildlife officer. Maybe he was on cold medicine. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Eternal optimist over here. <laughs> exactly. I don't know. Let's let's leave it at that. Nyla, thanks so much for, for, for coming to Fort Lauderdale to see me. 
Absolutely. And I hope you invite me back. I think um, I think you were phenomenal um, to do interviews with and to actually for the audience to actually learn something. So being back, I got a feeling as um, on the agenda. I, I look forward to it. And um, anything that, anything that um, that you wanted to say here before we wrap it up? Anyway, um, you know, shameless plug. If you like what we're doing with One Florida Foundation, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. But I don't tweet much. Uh, OneFloridaFoundation.org is our website, and there's there's a lot of you know good links to some of our bureaucratic websites, but okay. also just you know some good information there too. I don't usually edit the podcast, but I'm going to edit that to put that information at the beginning. Okay. Because I really enjoyed it, and I'm sure the audience enjoyed it, too. And I want them to know, one, how to get a hold of you, two, how to learn more about you. And then, uh, like you said, maybe you'll get a relationship with somebody from the Real Guy Network. <laughs> that would be fantastic. I'm sure it's going to happen because um, the interview is fantastic. And thanks so much for being here. Have a great evening. Nyla, run that dog. <laughs>